0: Today on Blue 58, it never hurts to talk a little bit about culture, and I'm not talking about the art museums and plays and concerts type of culture either. I'm talking about football team culture. Everybody needs it, everybody has it, so what is it like in Green Bay, and how is it going to affect the rest of their season? Blue Fifty Eight. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. happy to be with you here for another episode. It's tough to talk about specific games for the Packers right now. I I find myself a little bit between a rock and a hard place watching and thinking about the Packers right now. Because if you sit down and are really honest with yourself, the best thing for the Packers right now is to stop trying so hard. The playoffs are a pipe dream. Yes, they are theoretically possible. The Packers are not going to the playoffs. It's not going to happen. They're not going to make it. And so the best thing for the Packers is to start thinking about the future. Whether or not that's Jordan Love next year, whether or not it's Aaron Rodgers, whether or not it's something else entirely, the future is coming, one way or another. Loosely quoting Thanos, dread it, run from it, the offseason is going to arrive, and it's going to arrive for the Packers sooner than they probably would have liked. So the best path forward for the Packers is just to, to kind of pack it in and start using this like a reverse preseason, except it's at the end of the season and it's not the postseason. They've got to get a look at some of the guys for the future. And if they happen to lose some games along the way, that's not the worst thing either. The problem is, I'm not going to root for the Packers to lose I don't want them to lose. I don't want to see the Packers lose, and I especially don't want to see them lose to the Bears. On top of that, Aaron Rodgers is probably going to play this weekend. It seems by all accounts he wants to play and anticipates playing, and the Packers seem willing to let him play if that's what he wants to do. So where does that leave us? For me, I think there's really only one thing to hope for this weekend. If the Packers aren't going to embrace the future, there's only one thing we can do. Hope that they absolutely obliterate the Bears. Because if they're not going to lose, or not going to try to lose, and they would never try to lose, but if they're not going to take the evaluation path forward, all I want is for the Packers to just wax the Bears like nuke the city of Chicago from orbit, like Aaron Rodgers' six touchdown passes in the first half sort of thing. Because if we can't have the optimal path forward, let's just take the fun one. Let's see Christian Watson run real fast. Let's see Aaron Jones break the Packers' all-time rushing record for a single game. Let's see some wild and crazy stuff. Let's see them destroy The Chicago Bears. Because if that's what we're going to get from the Packers, hey, I guess that's what we're going to get. If we're not going to get them trying for 2023 this weekend, let's just destroy the Chicago Bears. I don't feel the need to really spend a whole lot of time previewing this week's game. We'll talk a little bit about what I'm going to be watching for here in a little bit. But I wanted to spend some time talking about culture team culture specifically. We've had a few chats over the course of this season in the Power Sweeps Discord server about culture and what the Packers culture actually is. Specifically, whether or not the Packers culture is bad. There have been accusations basically throughout the season that Lafleur has lost the team. I don't want to say that was from from our people in the, the Power Sweeps Discord because it really hasn't come to that point. But the the coaching criticisms have been basically what you'd expect, I would say, of Matt LaFleur um, when things have started to not go well. Everybody says that the success is all about Aaron Rodgers. I think you can quibble with that. That he, I don't know, just was somebody the Packers took because they thought they could boss him around. And, you know, Mark Murphy is really in charge here and Brian Gutekunst is just going to do what he does. It's, it's an interesting conversation to watch play out, and I've seen a lot of those conversations elsewhere on the Packers' internet. And I think culture is worth talking about, but it's the sort of thing that I'm reticent to bring up on the show because it's a hard thing to talk about well, for a few reasons. First, none of us really have firsthand knowledge of what's going on here. We're on the outside. We don't know what's going on with the daily machinations of this team, Even from what they're telling us in press conferences, in locker room availability, in post-practice availability, we we don't get a good glimpse of what things are like on a day-in, day-out basis. What is a day in the life of a Packers player really like from a culture standpoint? What's it like to go to work as a member of the Green Bay Packers? We just really don't know. We don't have that firsthand knowledge. Because athletes today are, I think, good at cultivating a brand at, and they know that the most valuable brand is, you know, the, the team, the team, the team, you know, I'm just going to be be that guy who's in the film room all the time doing all my workouts, stuff like that, because they know that's the sort of thing that sells well with fans and makes them a desirable target for big money in the future. Can't blame anybody for that. Nobody's getting on Twitter and being like, it stinks to work here. I hate it. This Lafleur guy is a bum. He doesn't know what he's talking about because they know that's career suicide. So we just don't know. And even the reporters with locker room access can only speculate. There's only so much you can know if you're not a part of the team and you don't know what's going on day in and day out. Secondly, talking about this kind of thing is not falsifiable. Say you can conclude or you you believe at least that the Packers culture is bad. How would you propose that they do things differently? Because you can't replicate the Packers culture or any team's culture or really study it or get data on it or say with any degree of confidence, oh, if they'd just done this differently, things would be better. Or they need to change this and then this result will happen because culture is a tricky thing. You ever just wake up on the wrong side of your bed? You just have a bad day. You're in a bad mood and you end up getting into fights with people you wouldn't normally get into fights with? Is that culture? Is a a couple bad weeks of bad interpersonal relationships culture? Because that's enough if that culture translates into one or two drop games, that's enough to to wreck your season. Just look at the four-game stretch that the Packers had against who was it? I'm going to get the order wrong, but the Giants, the Jets, the Commanders, and the Lions. Like, is is the culture there bad? Is that why they lost? Would a better culture have have really helped them to win those games? Is that something we can go? I don't I don't know if it is. I don't know if we can get to a point where we can say something should have been different there. And identify exactly what it was. But that's what you're looking for if you're saying the culture is bad, because if you're trying to improve it, you have to say this is how it's going to get better. And finally, I find culture to just be kind of an excuse. If you win and you have a bad team culture, nobody cares. And if you lose and you have a good culture, again, who cares? We've talked about. Dan Campbell's coaching style in Detroit a lot on this podcast. And it seems, or at least for the early portions of of this season, that the culture was pretty good in Detroit. People were having fun. They were playing hard. Did it matter? No, it didn't. And you could argue, yeah, well, they're not really, this is not the Lions year anyway. And they knew that. Sure, fair enough. But it does matter for some of those guys because they're not going to be around for the whole rebuild and they've got to try to get things figured out and, you know, get the money that they can. How much is the good culture really helping them? I do think it's very much a real thing, but is it a primary sort of thing? Did teams with good players but supposedly bad culture lose because their culture was bad or did they lose because their players weren't as good as they thought? I remember, shoot, it's 10, more than 10 years ago now. Uh, Vince Young joins the, um, Philadelphia Eagles and they start talking about dream team sort of things. They've got him, they've got Michael Vick, they've got LaShawn McCoy and <laughs> the, the, the team didn't end up being any good. The culture was fun. Dream team stuff is, is fun to talk about, but if your team isn't any good, who cares? And, then you start having to ask, was it the culture that wasn't good enough or were their players just not as good as they thought? What's the saying? Players not plays, X's and O's, not Jimmy's and Joe's. How big a deal is culture anyway? Those caveats aside, I think there are some things we can say about the Packers culture and then talk about what it could do better. So first, what is the Packers culture? In theory, I think you're looking at an attempt at a player-driven culture here. I think it's fair to say, even from the outside looking in, that Matt LaFleur is not a big rah-rah guy. He's not the sort of guy who's even going to be like Joe Barry and get down on the ground and demonstrate tackles and stuff like that. Matt LaFleur's outward personality is cool. And I, don't, I mean that like temperature-wise, like he's, he's a pretty relaxed guy maybe even aloof a little bit sometimes. Very reserved in, in, some, in some ways. But he's trying to be an even-keeled sort of guy. And I think that is by design. Because he wants his players to take the lead. There was a video that went around from 2019. I was not able to track it down, looked for it, wanted to, to pull the audio for you. But it's from one of the first training camp practices of the 2019 season. And that was also Zadaria Smith's first year with the Green Bay Packers. He comes up to Matt LaFleur during practice. You know, they're mic'd up or whatever. And he says, coach, the energy is a little bit low. We got to get it up today. And LaFleur just turns to him and says, you're a leader. You bring up the energy. And Z does something. And I remember even in the media at the time, they, they talked about what a great practice they had because they stepped it up they had a good practice they got the energy going and and things like that and that's I think what LaFleur wants and i can think i think that can work really well if you have good leaders so that kind of leads us to the question do the packers have good leaders in their locker room i'm genuinely asking there that's not a rhetorical question because i don't know and i don't know if we can know what would that look like to be a good leader zadarius smith was a significant voice in the packers locker room Was he a good leader? Well, in 2021, things kind of went sideways when his teammates didn't vote him a captain. Why was that? Just saying what we know from the outside here, of course. But what does it mean to be a good leader anyway on a football team? I don't know. But I think the Packers, and Matt LaFleur specifically, want things to be player-driven here, too. And the downside of that player-driven culture is that if you don't have that unifying voice, it can just be a bunch of individuals. You have 53 small teams, or maybe just some clicks or things like that. You need that unifying voice. You need that leader that players are going to follow. You need that fixed point. Put a pin in that one for later. Looking elsewhere at the Packers culture, I think it's a culture that also lacks some clear standards for what makes good leadership At the coach level, look at a few situations here. Mike Pettin, in for three years, his contract expires, he leaves. Joe Barry, I think it's safe to say, has underperformed as a defensive coordinator, given the supposed level of talent on the Packers' defense, giving at the very least the investment in the Packers' defense. No change in sight there either. Sean Menenga, has a bad first year as the Packers special teams coordinator, gets an inexplicable second season and was worse than the first. He's finally fired after the second one, but he got a second chance when there was, externally at least, I don't think any real reason for him to have one. And then Maurice Drayton has a bad year, and he's fired after one season. Why the difference there? Why does Mike Pettin's contract expire and he leaves even though I don't think his defensive issues were as bad as what we've seen from Joe Barry. But Joe Barry gets an entire second season, apparently, to figure this thing out. And it's not going to get figured out. It seems like different standards for different guys. And it, that lack of clarity has to be a problem, I would think, internally. I think it, it is also a culture that, at the player level, lacks clear standards for performance on the field. Why do some guys get opportunities and others don't? And why do some guys continue to get opportunities when others may have a shorter leash? Jake Hansen starts to start the year. Why? There were other opportunities there. There were other options there. You've got Zach Tom, if nothing else. Nope. Can't sniff the field, but Jake Hansen puts together a couple of the worst games we've ever seen from an interior offensive lineman in Green Bay before he finally has to be replaced. Royce Newman stays on the field. Again, why? The issues are plain for everyone to see, but no change comes. And then you've got Adam Stanovich saying there, well, you, you can't just change things to change things. Well, isn't that the whole game here? Changing things? Isn't that, like, a coach is one of their main jobs? I guess not. Amari Rodgers keeps getting opportunities. It takes 10 games and five fumbles. Muff pumps, whatever. For Amari Rodgers to not get cut, even, just get replaced as the full-time punt returner and kickoff returner. Why did that take so long? And it's not like this was just a short-term thing with Amari Rodgers. He had issues well into last year. And not just on-field issues. There were off-field issues with Rodgers, too. Conditioning issues. Playbook issues. There were real problems with Amari Rodgers last year. And I'm not talking like not being a good guy to be around but just like preparation sort of stuff. That's why that's they explicitly said that's why he didn't get on the field last year on offense. He was out of shape and he didn't know the playbook. And yet he still gets opportunities to return punts even though he can't do that well either. Why? If I was a player on the team, that would drive me insane. And reading between the lines a little bit, you can see why Kylan Hill might have been chirping a little bit. You got a Murray Rodgers out there returning kickoffs. I thought that was my gig. Why does he get, keep getting chances and I don't? Why can't I really sniff the field on offense? Other guys are just getting opportunities in big situations for apparently no reason. I work my butt off rehabbing and I can't get on the field. What's different about me? I'm not saying Hill was right or even that's what he was saying, but if that's what he was saying, I think he would have a case. So there, there may be some issues here. You can see the approach, maybe some, some aspects of it, but I think there are some some issues there too. So what does a culture need then? I'm not an expert on this. These are just one guy's opinions. But two big things really come to mind for me. First, clear standards for players, and for coaches. I don't know what the Pittsburgh Steelers standards are, but Mike Tomlin has a great line on this. The standard is the standard. He repeats it again and again and again. He expects his guys to hit a particular standard no matter what. And here he is explaining what he means by that exactly. I just always want to reiterate to our guys that um, every man is capable. We've got a job to do. We've got an objective to, to achieve. And regardless of circumstance, it's our job to, to pursue and attain those objectives. And uh, so regardless of who's available to us, regardless of what, what's going on, uh, game circumstances, venue and so forth, um, the level of expectation is the same. No matter what's going on, the level of expectation is the same. No matter how prepared you are, no matter how in shape you are, if you're on the field, you're expected to perform to a standard. you got to meet the standard no matter what. And if you can't meet the standard, you're not going to be on the field. The standard is the standard. Be clear internally and externally, I think, too, about what that standard is. Because the implicit message when you're starting Jake Hansen, when you're starting Royce Newman, when you're letting Amari Rogers go out there again and again and again, even if you're not saying it to the media, you are sending the message that they are meeting that standard. And just even as an outsider, even as for, I guess, talking about myself, just a guy here, just watching the team, it's clear that they're not performing. We asked, like, rhetorically many times, what would it take for Amari Rodgers to lose the job? Why was five enough, but four wasn't? What changed? Did it just become an accounting problem? I, the standard needs to be clear. Internally, so you can communicate it externally. The second thing is, and we, we mentioned this about meeting certain things from your player leadership. To have a good culture, I think internally you need a fixed point. Standards are one thing, but you need someone who can enforce or embody them. One of my favorite movies is Pacific Rim. Going to see that movie in the theaters was one of the best movie-going experiences of my life. Because it was one of those situations where everyone in the audience seemed to know, for one thing, exactly what they were in for. And they were like, yes, I am here to see the big robots punch the big monsters. That's what I'm here for. I'm not expecting anything beyond that. But as a group of people in the theater, everybody was, was vibing with the movie. Everybody was like, this is exactly what I wanted, and it's going well. This is, this is great. But in the movie, Idris Elba's character, the absurdly named Stacker Pentecost, is the guy in charge of what amounts to be the giant robot army program. He's got a tough job. He's got to get a whole team of people, not just the people operating the robots that are going to fight the monsters. He's got like a whole organization to run here. And at a certain point in the movie, he's getting challenged by Charlie Hunnam's character on a specific point. Charlie Hunnam wants a specific person to be working with him in the robot. And Stacker Pentecost says, no. And Hanum loses it and they have a little bit of a, a dust up and Pentecost puts him in his place and basically gives him, reads him the riot act and says, here's the deal. Here's what I am to everyone here and what I am to you. Here's what he says. Now, you have no idea who the hell I am or where I've come from and I'm not about to tell you my whole life story. All I need to be to you and everybody on this dome is a fixed point. The last man standing. I do not need your sympathy or your admiration. All I need is your compliance and your fighting skills. And if I can't get that, then you can go back to the wall that I found you crawling on. Do I make myself clear? I am a fixed point. I am the person who, when everybody else is ready to give up, they can look at me and say, at least he's embodying the standard, and we need to live up to that. A lot of times, from the outside looking in on the Packers, it feels like they don't have that fixed point. It feels like there's a bunch of different people doing their own thing. Brian Gutekunst has his goals for the Packers. Matt LaFleur has his goals for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers has his goal for the Packers, and on and on and on down the line. Who is the player on the Packers who's leading by example? This is not something I think we can know from the outside, but who is that guy? I think a team needs somebody like that. Somebody who is putting in the long, hard hours. Somebody who is lifting everybody else up. Somebody who is just there and somebody you can rely on when everything else breaks down. Those sorts of people I think are pretty rare. Finding that person, shoot, outside of football is rare. That person, you can think of that when things are not going well, they are going to be exactly the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. They're going to bring it every single day that's a huge find from a culture perspective. And I don't know if the Packers have a guy who approaches that right now. Maybe all this adds up to nothing. I've gone for almost 25 minutes here on team culture, something that I admit at the get-go that we can't really know a whole lot about from the outside. But I think there are things that teams can strive to have and I'm not sure how many of those things the Packers have right now. Let's talk a little bit about the Packers and the Bears. Here are four, five things that I'm going to be watching for in this game. First, right off the bat, Jordan Love watch. I want to know what Love is. I want you to show me. I want to see what Jordan Love can do. And I wonder how much, if anything, he's going to play in this game. Will Aaron Rodgers play the whole game? He says he wants to start. Do the Packers give him the start? Give him a couple series and then say, all right, we, we've seen what we need to see here. You've proved your point. Let's, let's sit down. I think we are going to see some love. I hope it's more even than last week. If we got a half of Jordan Love, I think that'd be pretty great. Secondly, Justin Fields' watch. He was out last week. As of today, a full participant in practice. What is he going to do for the Bears and what are they going to try to do with him? Because when they've turned him loose and let him run a lot, things seem to go well for the Bears' offense. He's also hurt or coming off an injury, and so do they even want to do that? And if they do, how do the Packers try to stop yet another running quarterback? On defense, I'm looking for J.J. Inigbari. He's really, I think, come along the last two, three weeks. The Bears do not do a good job protecting their quarterback. And when he passes, Justin Fields tends to hold the ball for a long, long time. If sacks are a quarterback stat, and I think they largely are, he tends to run himself into a lot of them. And if somebody's going to clean up those sacks, it might as well be J.J. Inimbari. Let's see him get a couple. Let's see him get after the quarterback and let's see him put together a game where he converts some of those pressures into actual sacks and quarterback hits. Fourthly, I want to see more down-roster guys. We've seen the guys that get snaps again and again and again. We started to see a little bit of movement on the offensive line from some names that we haven't seen or heard much of last week. Last week, Luke Tenuto was active for the Packers on the offensive line. That was partly because of um, Sean Ryan's suspension, and we'll be dealing with that again this week and for the rest of the season. But will we ever get a look at a guy like, say, Caleb Jones, who is back off the non-football illness list, apparently had mono. Bummer for him as a rookie. Uh, will we ever see Rasheed Walker? Will we ever see Jonathan Ford? Are we going to get a look at some of those down roster guys this weekend? I would love to see something a little bit different. I would love to see a little bit more evaluation of those guys that are outside the kind of main body of your roster. And finally, just for curiosity's sake, I want to see Keyshawn Nixon some more. Can he have another great game returning kicks? He looked real close to breaking a couple of them last week. Will he get one before the end of the year? I would love to see it. That's just a lot of fun. Let's see Keyshawn Nixon take one all the way back. Or, if nothing else, can he be close to the player he was last week? In conclusion, I'm hoping to see the Packers just obliterate the Bears. If we can't get the Packers, packing it in for the 2023 season, going full preseason again, let's just see them destroy the Bears. Let's see them add another chapter to this long, long long-running rivalry. Let's see them just bury Chicago. If we can't get the optimal path forward, let's at least get an entertaining one. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show, and that is the number one way that we grow, through your work, and I appreciate it a lot. And if we get more people finding the show, we're going to get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, perhaps me especially, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.